Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. Today's episode is the first in our Christmas series and is entitled, What We Can Learn from the Angels. We hope you enjoy. Right. What we could do is we get together here to make disciples. And so we pray that today's message and all the messages before are helping stretch you in your faith and help you understand Scripture more deeply. Uh, we are entering a very strange but yet wonderful time of the year, right? I mean, it's pretty crazy. I mean, of all the things that could be happening in this world, football is coming to a close. That doesn't depress anybody else. I mean, that's my favorite thing about the fall is football, right? And, and then basketball is ramping up, right? It's start, the games are starting to matter, starting to get serious. Uh, but football, did anybody watch the game last night? ACC championship? You see Carolina get ripped off in the last call? So wrong. Reco- recovered an onsides kick with a false offsides call. That's not reviewable. ACC, you need to check that. All right, anyway, that's, it's ridiculous. It's rough. It was, it was a pretty close game. It was a good, well-thought game. Um, the Christmas season is what we are is upon us this month. If you haven't done your shopping, you probably need to get on it, right? Anybody finished? Anybody finished? Really, Casey is done. All Apple products, right? Exactly. <laughs> 50% off everything, all Apple products, done. All right, no, that's good. Um, wow. I, when, is, when do you finish your Christmas shopping? Anybody? Yeah. For me, it's always Christmas Eve. Right? Whatever's left, you know, you get in there with all the other men. All the women are gone, but the men are in the shops, and we're all shopping for the last minute. You know, Christmas Eve. If you if you're finished, you're almost finished. Which well done, you know, nicely done. Families are preparing to get together, you know, and tolerate each other for another holiday, right? Um, get everybody together for a few hours, and everybody smiles, and we have fun, and then you know we talk bad about them when they leave. I'm just kidding. You don't do that. Um, is it just my family? No. no? Okay, just check. No. But, it's, but beyond the traditions of the time, the family gatherings, the gift giving, the shopping, all that kind of thing, if we really look at Christmas and be honest as Christians, it's pretty strange. It's pretty weird, right? I mean, you read the Christmas story and it reads like a sci-fi novel, right? I mean, virgins are giving birth, angels are coming and talking to people in their dreams, and then they're showing up on hillsides, Astrologists are looking into the sky and astronomers are seeing signs and they decide I'm just going to uproot everything and head east, you know, to go see this king that was born. It's a little crazy when you really, if you just look at it on a surface level. But it's, it's a true time. Even though it's crazy and it's weird, it's true, right? We know that the, the Bible has proven itself to be a reliable source of history. Right? And we know that the person who wrote the main Bible narrative that we usually read for, for Christmas was Luke. And Luke was a physician. He wasn't a crackpot. He was a, he was a brilliant person in the time. And he did a lot of research. And he honestly tried to present a historical account to a guy named who? Theopolis, right? In the very beginning of the, the Gospel of Luke. To you, dear Theopolis, this is the account of all the things that happened concerning Christ Jesus. So he, he is presenting a historical account. And he goes and he does all his research and he talks to these shepherds and he talks to Mary and Joseph. He talks to all these people. He talks to the, the people that saw the events and witnessed the events and he records them as a historical document. And then we get to open up Luke in chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. So if you've got your Bible and you want to find it, Luke chapter 2. If you go on to the app, the Sermon Notes app, the, mess- the, the text is up, but the message notes are not. They'll be up tomorrow. But um, you can still make your own notes. The text is up. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15 is where we're going to be camping out. Um, you're going to see the beginning of warfare in Luke chapter 2. 
You see the beginning of war. Okay? You don't really think that. You think it's Christmas time, right? But this is the beginning of war. And um, there is a spiritual warfare that happens at Christmas. Right? If, we, if we looked around and we, we considered the suicide rate that goes up at Christmas, right? I mean, it's because people are battling depression or they're battling loneliness and suicide goes up in the holiday season. But also, there's joy that happens in the holiday season, right? I mean, more marriage proposals on Christmas than any other day, right? I mean, like, people are ready to get married, and they get the, the ring as the gift. So, there's, there's a lot of good things, there's a lot of bad things, there's joys, there's depression, there's suicide, there's, there's new marriages, new lives together, there's spiritual battles going all around us, and they all center on this little baby named Jesus. It, it, all, it all culminates right there in this little baby that comes and lays in a manger. Uh, but it's not the unseen battles, the history of Jesus' birth that's weird itself, right? right? This, that's the weird part, is what we're reading in this text. It's strange, it's atypical, it's extraordinary, but it's also true. The scene at Christmas was not a normal night, but it was a night that changed history. And so from that point on, from the, the moment of, of Luke chapter 2, when it's recorded in history, every human heart is faced with a decision. Who is this Christ child? Who is this Jesus guy? Everybody's got to make that decision from that point on. Before, they could believe in this God or that God or this God. Or they could be monotheistic or polytheistic and they can have all these things. But when, when God becomes flesh and then he grows up and he claims, I am the I am. I am God. From that point on, everybody in history has to decide who is Christ child. Who is he? Is he God or is he not? Changes the world. Today, what we're going to do, the month of December, we're going to look at the different characters that played a role in the Christmas story. We're going to take, a, take a, a person that God used to proclaim the gospel and look from their perspective of what was happening in, um, in the Christmas story. And so we're going to start off with the weirdest of all of them, angels. Start with angels, right? I mean, they're probably the least understood in the scripture, yet they show up from Genesis to Revelation, right? They're all over the place. There's 196 verses about angels in the Bible. Right? 103 in the Old Testament, 93 in the New Testament. 34 of the Old Testament books mention them. Can I get turned down a little bit? I'm, I'm squeaking. They're included in the earliest known manuscripts. Right? What's the first book of the Bible that was ever written in history? Job. Right? And what does it open up? What's the scene that opens up? The sons of God, the angels are coming to the throne of God. And, and, and then Satan comes and presents Job as someone to be tested. Right? So from the very beginning of time, from the very understanding of the monotheistic Jewish, Christian, Judeo culture, angels were present. They were there. Yet, we know very little about them. Today, we're going to answer three questions. We're going to say, what do we know about angels according to Scripture? What are they doing in the Christmas story? And then lastly, what can we learn about them as we proclaim the gospel? Right? What can we learn from them as we proclaim the gospel? So let's read our text. Everybody got it? Luke chapter 2. I'm going to be using a lot of scripture references, so I'm going to be looking at this a lot. So just let you know, because there's a lot of scripture references for you to write down, if you're taking notes. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy in all the nations. And for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothing and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly, as if out of nowhere, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those with whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the things, the th see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has just told us about. All right, so we're going we're gonna to answer those three questions, right? What do we know about angels? What are they doing in the Christmas story? Why are they important? And what can we learn from them today, right? So what do we know about them? First, we've got to admit that what we do know about angels is pretty, probably wrong, right? I mean, when we think about, when you put a picture of a mind of an angel in your head, if, if in our culture, in our world, it's probably not exactly what the scripture teaches us, right? The 196 verses do a lot, say a lot about who they are and what they look like and what they do and what their names are and what types of angels there are, but we, we get honed in on the most popular versions of angels, right? And what are those? Halos, Halos wings, women, and babies, right? They got beautiful women in glorious gowns with wings and halos, and they're sweetly singing o'er the plains, right? And, well, I mean, they are, yeah? And then, uh, and they, they come to you in a dream, and they float away quietly, and, uh, and so they always show up. And then the other one is babies, right? And they have little wings, and bows, and arrows, and harps, and they sit on clouds, and they sing. And, and sometimes we think of, the, of angels as dead humans, right? The spirits of humans, that when we die, we become angels. That's, the Bible doesn't teach that, right? But it's a mentality that we have that, the, uh, that spirits of people become angels. So in order for us to get a good, clear picture of what, we, what they're doing in the Christmas narrative, we've got to learn from them what they are, right? We've got to learn from the scripture what they are, and then uh, why it's important for us to use those 196 verses to paint a clear picture in our mind. So what are angels? Here's, this is the simplest way we can say. In Hebrew, the word is malak, and in Greek it's angelos, 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 sure, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm southern, so I can't pronounce anything in Greek. Angelos. And what it means literally is messenger. That's what it means, messenger. And it's not just a, just a messenger, it's a trusted messenger. So um, in several places in scripture, it's used for humans too. 1 Kings 19.2, Luke 7.24, Luke 9.52. It's talking about human messengers that are sent, that are trusted with a very important message to be delivered to a specific person, right? An angelos or a malak um, from the Hebrew. Both words mean the same thing, trusted messenger. Angels are also spoken of as being holy, right? They are, they are without sin. They are without blemish. They are set apart. They exist in hosts or armies. Host is another way of saying a, a, a band of, arm, of, of warriors is a host, right? A large number of warriors is a host. Armies. They're also called the sons of God. We see that in Job and Genesis. Where do they come from? How old are they? Angels are not transformed people, right? We, we saw that as American folk religion teaches. The psalmist teaches that they were directly created by God, right? Psalm 148.5, for he commanded and they were created. Talking about the angels. He commanded and they came about. Paul tells us that, Je uh, that Jesus actually is the one who actually created angels, right? Paul teaches that Jesus created angels um, before time began. Colossians 1.16 all things were created. All things were created. Both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible. So in our realm and in the spiritual realm. 
whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him and by him all things are held together. Him is Jesus. Jesus created the angels according to Colossians 1.16. Since angels are mere creatures, they are not to be worshipped, right? We worship the creator, not the created. So angels were created, so they're not to be worshipped. And we see that we have a tendency to want to worship angels in Colossians 2.18, in Revelation 19.10, uh, Revelation 22.9, uh, that's when John is on Patmos and he has the vision of the revelation. And he says, after I'd seen all these things, the one who showed them to me, I fell on my face and I worshiped him. And the angel said, stop, please don't do that. Worship the king. Don't worship me. I'm the messenger, right? He stops the worship of John. God created angels before the world existed. So therefore they are present from the beginning of time. That's how old they are. Angels apparently, according to scripture, do not die. So however many Jesus created in the beginning or however many there are, they don't reproduce. There are a set number of angels that God created. Are they physical or spiritual? A little of both, right? I mean, they're, they're mainly spiritual beings, but they can appear in what we call angelophanies, right? And so that is a human form of a spiritual being. Um, Hebrews 1, 14, Matthew 8, 16, 12, 20, uh, 12 45, Luke 7, 21, the list goes on. Uh, when you get the notes offline, you'll see all these references. I'll put them in there. Uh, how many are there? Do we know? Okay, well, angels are very numerous. Da Daniel 7.10 states that there are myriads of angels. You know what a myriad is? 10,000, 10, right? There are myriads of angels. So it's not just a myriad. There are myriads. There are ten thousands of ten thousands of angels. There are lots of them. Hebrews 12.22 states that there are innumerable angels. You can't count them. Of course, the myriad is a figure of 10,000. Revelation 5.11, John has seen the, the picture of heaven, and he's saying there are myriads of myriads. So what does the word of mean in English? Multiply. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million angels, right? Now, question. Do you think John stood there and counted 100 million angels? No. I think what that's saying is a figuratively, I saw a whole lot of angels. I saw a whole big old ton of angels. There's a lot of angels. There were myriads of myriads of myriads of myriads of angels. There's a whole lot of them. I couldn't count them all. There's a lot of angels. That's the southern version of John. I saw a lot of angels. Um, what do they look like? Our most common conceptions are wrong. They actually never appear as females. Do you know that? In scripture, there's not one appearance of a female angel. They all appear as males. Every single one of them. Uh, and they never appear as children. They're all adult males. Warriors. They look like warriors. They're often mistaken for men, right? The angelophanies. They, um, Hebrews 13, tw 2 says, Be careful about your hospitality because why? You might be entertaining angels without knowing about it, right? So that there are many times in Scripture we see um, when Abraham was visited by the Lord, by uh, like a pre-incarnate Christ and his angels before the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, they thought they were men, right? And they welcomed them in, they ate dinner, and then the, those men gave the message to Sarah that she, or to Abraham that she was going to have a baby. And Sarah laughed, and they didn't think that was funny. And then they started, they came back and they said, we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then who goes and visits Sodom and Gomorrah on behalf of the Lord? Two men right? These were people who looked like men and they were accepted in the city and then the, pe the people of the city tried to rape them because they, they wanted to take them as men. They didn't see them as angels. They weren't petrified of these guys. They looked like men. Yet they were often mistaken. They always showed up as men. Most don't have wings but can still fly. There are areas in the scripture. Daniel 9, 21, Revelation 14, 6. These are, these are angels that are flying without wings. 
Isaiah, no, sorry. I said uh, Daniel 9, 21 and Revelation 14, 6. But there is a specific type of angel, the seraphim. So there are types of angels, the seraphim and the cherubim. Um, they have wings, but they're not human-like angels. So they're not mistaken as human. They are seen as heavenly creatures, right? However, angels can also appear in glorious form. They're not always in human form. Uh, if you go back to Mar Matthew 28, 3 through 4, when um, Jesus' tomb is, uh, the tomb is opened by an angel and Jesus is resurrected, the guards say that he looked like the appearance of lightning and had the clothing of white and snow. They knew it was something of a he. They gave him a he identification, but he said he appeared as lightning and with clothing as white as snow. So th they don't have to necessarily appear in the human form. Paul writes that um, Satan, who we believe to be a fallen angel, can appear as breathtakingly beautiful. Right? Isn't it funny that all of our pictures of angels that are in our culture are breathtakingly beautiful? I don't know. I'm just saying. It's interesting. I wonder what angels were believing in. How many types are there? There are three. There are, sorry, there are four types of angels um, according to the text. They exist in the spiritual realm, so it's kind of hard to say what, how many types there are, but there are four that we see. But that's like saying there are cars in heaven. Well, what types of cars are there? Where there's big ones and little ones and electric ones and gas ones and Priuses, but God put those. Those are fallen cars, right? Priuses. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, I hate Prius. All right, anyway. <laughs> Got a cool business model for Priuses, right? Like Prius wheel chalks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah? Like, you just put it underneath. If you're changing your oil, it looks like your car rolled over one of those things. You know? I'm, it's going to happen. Our depth group's working on the business model. All right. Um, there are four that we see. We see first the seraphim. Uh, they are the distinct type of angel which surround God. Isaiah 6. Good reference. Um, he says, I saw the seraphim flying above the throne, singing to one another. And they each had how many wings? Six, Six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. And these seraphim, these are specific types of angels. They're warrior angels. They're, they are a sight to behold, apparently. Because what was Isaiah's response? I am undone. I'm about to die. Right? When he saw this glory, he was about to die. He was messed up. Um, they, they flew, and their voices are so powerful. They sang, holy, 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 that the, the, the foundations of the threshold of the temple shook at their voice. No joke. Seraphim. And then we have cherubim. Cherubim are the, they, the ones that were set to guard the tree of life. When Adam and Eve were kicked out, the cherubim were put into place with flaming swords. They're no joke either. Um, we see them as being heavenly-like creatures with four faces. One is human. One is, looks like the face of a lion. One looks like the face of a bird. One looks like the face of an ox. They're, they have four faces. They have wings that stretch forward. And the most common place we see cherubim in the biblical narrative is sitting on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, right? And their faces are looking down into the Ark of the Covenant. And, and their wings are stretched over the top. And so their wings, is, have you ever seen a picture of the Ark of the Covenant or what we think the Ark of the Covenant looked like? Yeah, and we see, we see the wings stretched and they almost touch in the middle. And what was that area called? May know? The mercy seat. The, the cherubim were the ones responsible for bearing the glory of God in heaven, right? They would stretch out, they would bear the glory of God. So the mercy seat was where when God would come down into the temple or into the tabernacle, he would sit on the mercy seat. The Spirit of God would sit on the mercy seat and the glory of God would shine in the, in the Holy of Holies. And so the cherubim were his seat, his, his throne, Right? And when we see in Ezekiel 10, 18, when the Spirit of God is coming out of the temple and going to the Mount of Olives and being taken into heaven, who, who bears the glory and takes them into heaven? The cherubim. 
The cherubim are responsible for bearing the glory of God. There are living creatures also in the places of worshiping God. Ezekiel 1, 5 through 13, Revelation 4, 8. These are different types of angels that we don't have really good pictures of, but they're living creatures. And then the last one, the fourth one, is their archangels. We know them as the highest of the angels, right? But um, we have two of them by name, Gabriel and Michael. There he is. So um, Gabriel and Michael serve as the archangels, the leaders of the angels. They, there's, it implies that there was a ranking system among angels. They were, had a military style to them. They were warriors doing spiritual battle, but they also had rank. They were archangels. And some of those rankings could be... Um, the princes, the powers, the, the authorities, the rulers, the, like those different rulers kind of suggest there are rankings. Uh, Michael refuses to rebuke Satan in Jude 9, which makes us imply that Satan might have been of higher rank or power than Michael, right? He refuses to rebuke him. He doesn't have the authority. So what do angels do? What do angels do? Why do we need angels in our lives? Uh, angels currently exist in, to serve us. That's why they were created. They were created as ministering spirits. Literally, they were created to serve us. To serve God in the, in, before the creation of the, of the world and to serve us after the creation of the world. Right? Hebrews 1.14, Jesus claimed that children have their angels in heaven, right? Or um, ministering spirits, ones who care for us. Matthew 18.10 imply that they have special ministries for individual people. Acts 12, 15, 6, and 17. Angels also exist to fight or intercede for God on earth. Um, Jesus claimed that he could at any moment summon 12 legions of angels and they would fight for him. Uh, a lot. I don't know the number. Sorry. Good question. What's a legion? Look it up. All right. So, um, Lots, lots of legions of angels. Okay, to protect them. They also worship God on his throne room, which involves rejoicing over the advances of the gospel on earth, right? We see that when, when in Revelation, when the, the seals are being opened, they praise God, right? Because the advancement of the gospel, the coming kingdom is happening. They're praising God in heaven, Revelation 4. And finally, they are spectators of God's plan unfolding, right? They see us. They watch us. You know, Peter says they long, to, they long to understand salvation. Because they are holy, they've never fallen, right? There are, there are fallen angels, but they're not redeemable. Those are demons. And then there are good angels, and those good angels are holy, so they, they don't need salvation, and they're not going to be saved. So only humanity, humans, were worthy of salvation according to God. So that's like a mystery to angels. They look at us, and they're like, wow, that is the love of God displayed for humanity. They watch God's plan unfold, and they rejoice, and they praise him. Even though angels are more magnificent and ancient than we are as humans, the Bible teaches us that uh, God values humans more than angels. Angels are ministering spirits to help us, and then one day we will eventually judge angels at the end of human history. 1 Corinthians 6.3 God died for humans. He did not die to spare the angels. 2 Peter 2.4 So who's greater, angels or humans? Humans. Why don't we see them today? Has anybody ever seen an angel? Anybody enter, entertained an angel and didn't realize it until later? No. May have. You never know. Um, why don't we see them? Well, first, we might be tempted to worship them. 
right? Every time there was an angel that appeared, either someone was petrified and began to worship them, or they were just petrified and, you know, wanted to die. So, like, we would be tempted to worship them because they're glorious, because they are supernatural, they, because they are not human. They're, they tempt us to worship. It's, it's tempting for us to worship them. Revelation 28, 22.8, sorry, Colossians 2.18. Now even angels are generally unseen people still worship them, right? We have occult practices where people worship angels. Second, we might be tempted to fear them. Right? I mean, every time an angel appeared in Scripture, what did they say? Don't be scared. <laughs> right? Like, every time they showed up, don't be scared. I come with you with good news. I come to give you news. Uh, and third, we might be distracted by them and ignore God. We might get overwhelmed and get, like, at looking for angels and seeing angels and we just forget to worship the Creator. We get sucked into worshiping and seeking the created. Because if we could see them all the time, it'd be pretty crazy. Fourth, I don't think we need them anymore. Other than how God ministers to us with them, I don't think we need them anymore because now who bears the glory in the message of, of, of God? The church. Right? He has given the message of the gospel, the good news to the church, to deliver to the world. So instead of using visible angels, he uses the people in the body of Christ. So let's summarize. What are they're ultimately messengers with military style rank and numbers? They're always seen as males, adult males. They don't have wings, but some can. They were created by Jesus in the beginning and therefore are not to be worshipped. They minister to us, and we hold a higher place in the kingdom than they do. They are holy and unholy. They are fallen and, and good, uh, but they are not redeemable. They are angels and demons, but they are not. The, the demons are not redeemable, and they are all around us, but we can't necessarily see them or interact with them. There are millions and millions and millions of angels, legions and legions and myriads among myriads. Um, they do not die. They do not reproduce. They were created in a finite number at the beginning of time. They can appear to humans, and we might not even know that they are angels because they can appear as humans. And they long to understand God's love for us and salvation. All right, so that's who they are. Pretty crazy spiritual beings pretty amazing spiritual beings. And God chose them to deliver the greatest message in all of history. Right? I mean, he could have easily sent someone who looked like a human. He could have just knocked on the door, hey guys, just want to let you know there's a baby born, he's the Messiah, you might want to go check him out. Knocking on the doors, going around to Bethlehem and Jerusalem, right? But he didn't. He chose the angels, the ones he had created and who had served him and known him face to face to be the message bearers. What are they doing in the Christmas story? Um, Mildred Erickson, a systematic theologist, writes, uh, angels are never mentioned on their own purpose, but are always brought up for something else. Every reference to angels is incidental to some other topic. They are not treated, uh, they are not treated in and of themselves. When they are mentioned, it is always in order to inform us further about who God is, about what he does, and how he does it. This is because angels are servants of humans. Right? So angels are always, they're always uh, extras in the play of God. And they're, they're meant to, to teach us more about them. So these angels in the Christmas story, we see them appear to shepherds in a field at night. And one appears and they get freaked out. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Because you got to imagine it's at night, right? In Jerusalem, it's probably pretty dark. There's no light pollution, pitch black dark. And all of a sudden this one angel appears and there's light everywhere. And the guys, they're what? They're slightly moved, right? No, they're terrified. They're petrified. Ah! You know, and one angel appears and he says, hold on, calm down. Don't be scared. I bring you good news. 
the best news of all of history. I bring you good news. The Savior is born. Right? And then after that, this huge multitude of the heavenly host, an army of angels appears in the sky to witness the truth of the message that was just given. Right? They come to endorse the one messenger and say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, to, and to whom God's favor rests. They were serving as witnesses. They were serving as the messengers of the greatest message in human history. They were also proclaiming <coughs> and declaring war had begun, right? God didn't send an army of angels just to be like, you know, hey, look at that. We want to sing sweetly over the plains. No, he, they came to declare war ha has begun. It's time to go to battle, right? We have, we have brought in our secret weapon in history. His name is Jesus. He's lying in a manger, and you just wait and see what he does to Satan's face, right? War has come. They came to announce battle. That the defeat of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin, the penalty of sin, this was the beginning of the end for sin. This is the beginning of the end for Satan and his rule. It was over. They came to announce battle. So we know what they are. We know why they were there. God had sent them with a message for the people of God, or for the, the, the shepherds, in order for they can receive the message and then go proclaim it. God sent them with this message. They declared war. They proclaimed the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, the Savior. But what can we learn from them? So, if you've got your Bible, you need to go with me. We're going to go verse by verse. I want to show you what I think we can learn from them. I think they have presented to us a pattern by which we can present the gospel. The pattern by which we proclaim the, the coming king, or that the, the king has come. The, a pattern by which we proclaim and affirm the message of God in the gospel. So let's walk through it together and we'll discover this. Okay, first, a messenger came in glory. A messenger came in glory. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. What is glory? Magnificent beauty. That's glory. Magnificence. Beauty. Honor. Glory. An angel came with beauty, with magnificence. They came with something that made the shepherds go, <gasps> something that made them step back. Right? We are sent as people today with the message, the message of the gospel. God gave it to us, and in Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples, teach them everything, share this good news that the Savior has come, sin has been conquered, death has been beaten, you can have life through Christ Jesus. That's your message, go share it. We're the new messengers. And we are empowered by the Spirit of God, which means that we also bear the beauty of God, right? And the way that we live our lives before people, we bear the glory of God. We're glory bearers. Um, Romans 10, 14 through 15 Right? This is, this is how I would say that we have magnificence beauty. Right? This is what it says is true about us. Then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him if they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet. Right? We're not talking about manicures and pedicures. Or manicures and pedicures. We're not talking about getting pedicures and having beautiful feet. We're talking about if you carry the gospel to someone, you are bringing beauty into their lives. You are demonstrating the glory of God with the gospel. Right? You are showing glory. You are showing magnificence in the glory of the gospel. So you have beautiful feet. You are a glorious presentation of the truth. You are a messenger. You're like the angel. You've got to go with the gospel. You have beautiful feet. 
What was the response of the people? Verse 9b, and they were terrified. How often do we present the gospel to someone, we share the truth that we believe has changed our lives and that we have evidence has changed our life, it's totally flipped our worlds upside down, and we go and present this to people and they respond with fear. Right? If I give in to that, I'm going to lose this, this, and this. The fear of the future. How can I trust that? That guy didn't do this or do this in my life. How can I trust that? I don't trust him. I'd rather, I don't, I don't trust him with my future. I fear what would happen if I put my faith in that. I'd rather take care of it myself. Or I'm not interested because Christians do blank and blank and blank and blank and blank. And I don't think that's right. A, a fear of man, a fear of God. If I believe, I'll have to give up a fear of loss. Often when people are presented with the gospel, they respond with fear. It might not be terror, like we see in the angel, but we see that the gospel is offensive, and when people are offended, they draw back. Respond in fear. It's t some of them respond in this way. It's too late for me. You don't understand what I've done. That's a good message, but you don't know the sins I've committed. There's no way a God would love me like that. You ever heard that before? I've heard it from prisoners, right? People who committed murder, rape, whatever. They're like, no, God couldn't forgive somebody like me. They're fearful of the judgment of God. Number three, the messenger calmed them with the fear, calmed their fears with good and accurate message. A good and accurate message. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, which will cause great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, there's a specific place you have to go, the town of David, which is Bethlehem. You have to go to Bethlehem. A savior has been born. He's not just a guy. It's not a baby has been born. A savior has been born. It's a title. It's capital S in my, book, in my Bible. Yes, for you, capital S. A savior has been born. It's a title. A specific person in history has been born to save you from sin and death. Right? It's accurate, it's specific, and it's good. He is the Messiah, He is the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Not only is this the title of the person who was born in this city, but I'm going to give you a sign that when you see it, you'll know I'm telling you the truth. Right? This is a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a cradle. Exactly. Want a cradle? It's not the normal place you'd find a baby. You've got to go to the stalls and you've got to look where the animals are and you're going to find a baby in a manger. He's going to be wrapped in clothes and that is the Savior. This is the message. It's specific and it's good and it brings hope and joy. That's what the angels brought. It's imperative that we present the good news of how Jesus was born to save us from the presence, power, and penalty of sin. That message needs to be specific and it needs to be accurate. We can't walk around it or dance around it when we present the gospel. We need to know what the gospel is and we need to present the gospel and let God do what he does. Right? So if we're going to be the messengers of God, bearing the glory of God and responding to people's fear with good and accurate message, we need to know what it is and we need to present the message clearly. Believe that Jesus is Lord. Die to yourself. Place your faith in his work on your behalf and follow him in every area of your life. And you'll have everlasting life. It's the gospel, right? He came. He paid your penalty. He died your death. When you put your faith in him, you have life. Period. Done. Now don't go be perfect. Now, I mean like, like don't, don't fix yourself and then decide to do this. Believe in the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, be saved. Romans 10, 13. 
The message was confirmed by other messengers. This is pretty cool, right? So the angel shows up. He delivers the message. They're scared. He's like, whoa, 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 calm down. This is good news. Go find the baby. And he left. And they were like, okay, so one guy's, so one crazy angel just escaped from heaven and told us that the Savior is born. No, it was affirmed by a whole multitude of the heavenly armies showed up in the sky. And what did they say? Glory to God. No, they didn't sing it, right? This is a battle cry. This is a chant. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. I mean, it was like shaking the whole countryside where these shepherds are. You want to talk about being terrified. An army of angels with six wings and flaming swords and they're like, glory to God. And like this deep, amazing voice that shook the thresholds of the temple are screaming glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth with whom his favor rests. Peace on earth with whom his favor rests. Like, that's a battle cry. And it was affirmed by the multitude of angels. So when we go to people and we share the gospel and we present the truth and they respond in fear but we're like, no, this is a good message and we present it to them. How do we get a heavenly host to affirm the message? Who's the heavenly host? The church. The church. Right? We talk about in this church that we want to be a family on mission for depth. Right? We want to be a family on mission, pursuing Christ deeply for so that other people can be connected to Him and grow intimately with Christ and others. Right? So, when we talk about doing missions, we don't talk about doing it by ourselves. Right? We talk about doing it with the church. Right? Like, where I'm weak, you're strong, let's go and share the gospel. And so, when we bring our friends into the presence of the church and we love them well, we're affirming the message they've heard from you. Right? The church is the, affir the affirming group of heavenly hosts today. So that means we bear a lot of responsibility because if someone is presenting the gospel to a friend and then they come around their Christian friends and we act like a bunch of hypocrites and we're full of hate and we're mean and we're rude and we don't care about them and we don't show any compassion or love and we don't live out the gospel that we say has changed our life, then what do they say? Forget this gospel. Why do I want to be a part of that good news? That's not good news. It means the church itself, as we live among our community, and as you introduce people who are do not know Christ to other people, we bear a huge responsibility to have beautiful feet also. Right? Because we are affirming the message of the messenger. We are the heavenly host. We are showing, yes, that message you just heard is true. We do love you. Christ loves you. He has died for you. He has changed my life. I'm not perfect, but he's changed my life. I'm not going to claim to be perfect. Let me tell you about my sin and where I struggle, but let me show you how God is redeeming me and changing me. Oh, well, maybe you're not a bunch of hypocrites. Maybe you really do care about me. And maybe this God really is true. The church affirms the message. We do that in missional family groups, right? At the, to, at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you about our Christmas party that's coming up. This is a way in which the church will affirm the message of the gospel in people's lives, right? We're bringing our friends who don't know Christ to our church event where they can be loved by other people in the church and see the gospel's real. It changes life blows people's minds. Flips their world right upside down. It's the whole purpose of missional family groups. We have depth groups where we get together and we are vulnerable with one another and maybe we bring a stranger in that doesn't know Christ and we're like pre-discipling them and we're showing, hey, this is who God is and how he's changing my life and this is where I'm falling and messing up but this is the grace that I receive continually and they keep hearing this message of grace and love and redemption and they see it in the lives of other people. We've designed our church to affirm the gospel with your lost friends. 
Remember, the greatest, the greatest charge against us is hypocrisy. The greatest charge is that we do not affirm the gospel with our lives. All right, last. The men responded to the angels in faith without the angels. Right? So, the angel appeared, the heavenly host. They did their battle cry, chanting, chanting, chanting. The guys are probably peeing themselves. They're so scared, right? But I mean, they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Ah, and then silence, right? It says the angels went back into heaven, right? And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, that was interesting. Let's go to Bethlehem and see what that was all about. Let's go check that out. What God obviously has told us this. We need to respond in faith, right? But they didn't leave an angel or two around to say, yeah, come on, follow me. I'll show you where it's at. You know, like, you just take a left right here and come on, look, and this is the manger and this is, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is shepherd, shepherd Jesus. Nice to meet you. Like, they didn't, you can't lead the horse to water. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't what? Make them drink. You can share the gospel with people, but you can't save their souls, right? That is God's job. So, but there's a responsibility for the people that we share the gospel with to respond in faith. And they, they might have to do something. They might have to go. They might have to investigate. They might have to ask questions. They might have to go on a search of the scriptures to answer their questions. They might have to move in faith. And it's not our responsibility to hold their hands and take them to them and say, believe, 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 believe. Now we can walk with them. That's called discipleship, right? We can walk with them and we can share truth and we can show how our lives are being changed by the gospel. We can't make them believe. They have to respond. So there's Bill Bright, you know, Bill Bright, leader of Campus Crusade, his definition of successful evangelism. Present the gospel faithfully and accurately and then leave the results up to God. That's successful evangelism. You share the gospel truth let it be confirmed by your life and the, the, the myriads of Christians across the world. And then leave the results up to God. Let Him change their heart. Let Him redeem their soul. Let Him move in their lives. You keep caring. You keep loving. You keep sharing. But let them, let God change their heart. So, here's the conclusion. Angels are God's servants to Jesus and to us. He, he, they're His trusted messengers. And He sent them with the greatest message of human history on a night in Bethlehem to a bunch of shepherds, which we'll talk about later in the month. And, and he told them, the Savior has been born. It was confirmed by a multitude of the heavenly host. The men were left there to respond in faith. And then God showed them the truth of who Jesus was. And then what did, how did they respond? They went and told everybody. Right? We'll see that later. They went and told everybody. They knocked on the doors and everybody they told were amazed. They went and told everybody. Everybody they could find. So now we are kind of God's angels on earth. We are the messengers, right? We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the good news, which makes us have beautiful feet. We have glorious feet when we go and share the gospel. And we're the messengers. The church is the affirming heavenly host. We are the ones who, by our actions and by our love for people, affirm the message of the gospel. And we can trust God to change hearts when we, leave, when we present a good and accurate message. We can trust Him. So in this Christmas season, amongst all the gatherings, all the gifts, the shoppings, the stress, family stuff, have beautiful feet. Please have beautiful feet. Go get you a manicure so you feel a little bit better about it. But just have beautiful feet. Cut a cure. Whatever. Get over it. Good night. What do I, I've had one in my whole... I mean, I've heard people that had one in their whole life. Have beautiful feet. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the war was waged and then won through the life and the death of Jesus, and that in Him, anybody and everybody can have life.
That's the purpose of the season. You're the messenger. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear other messages or learn more about our church, please visit us at www.restorationchurch.us or check us out on Facebook at Restoration D C H.